0: The second lesson is written in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate the word of the Lord. Again, thank you, Vicki, for reading. Well, I'm certainly grateful to be here uh, this morning, and I thank uh, Pastor Jerry for this opportunity. Uh, yesterday, at the five o'clock service, somebody a fellow was sitting down on the front seat where I was sitting before the service started. He looked at me and said, are all the other pastors gone? <laughs> I go, uh, no, they're here. In fact, Jerry will be here in just a few minutes. He was used to me preaching in, in, this, uh, in summer when they're all on vacation, so this is an unusual event. So I'm glad to have uh, Pastor Jerry and Pastor Carol as well here uh, with us today. But I want to uh, speak on this topic of marriage and the idea being that it 's supposed to be an honorable estate, now something has happened over the years, and I want to speak to you as a pastor who I have been for many many years, and as well as a licensed counselor in the church setting for almost thirty years and I have witnessed over the generation or so. An incredible change in the last 40 years regarding what marriage is considered to be. Dramatic changes. Not only in marriage, but also in relationships in general. Now, before you start leaving in droves, because I'm just going to be talking about marriage, and you're not married, and you're single, and you're never going to get married or you've been divorced or that sort of thing, please don't do that because I want to talk about uh, relationships in general and marriages specifically from the basis of what God's Word has to say and regarding who He is and how come we have marriage uh, to begin with. But you know, I watch a certain, uh, uh, two couple of game shows. One of them, they ask a bunch of questions. And then the other one, I won't mention its name, but this great big wheel that goes click, click, click. Some of you may recognize that. Okay. Well, they always start out with introducing the contestants. I'm so-and-so. I have this wonderful husband and a great spouse. I've never heard anybody not say they've got a wonderful husband or a fantastic spouse, but uh, that's the way it is. And then they'll talk about, well, uh, I, we've been together X number of years, married X less than that, and then we've got kids from here, there, and everywhere. And it's like, well, and, and not to mention the partner this and that, but it's, it's like, wait a minute, th- there's, this is now the norm. And this is what is going on and what everybody does. And uh, years ago, I remember if somebody would have said something like that, the community would have never talked to him again. And now it's like, national TV, what's the problem? It's the way it is. There's something going on that is indeed contrary to God's word. God's word is that we're supposed to be submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, these instructions, I think, from Paul are for the Christian family in general. Now, some commentators will disagree as to whether this verse particularly belongs to the preceding passage, whether it should be a verse by itself, which some translations do, or is it a verse that precedes what's to follow? I think the latter makes sense because Paul's saying this is what happens now in relationships. Okay, you're submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the overarching principle. Then it's, okay, here's what husbands do, here's what wives do, here's what children do, and here's what slaves do. And it's built on this premise that are to, to be submissive to one another. I like how the uh, paraphrase of uh, Eugene Peterson in the message says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. And in a paraphrase that I've never heard about, the easy English, serve one another to show that you respect Christ As your master. Now, see, that principle encompasses all of our relationships. Now, it may not work for non Christians, or if you work in a place that doesn't have any Christian leadership, which most of us do probably, but this principle is what's supposed to be operative in Christian families, Christian churches, and Christian relationships. It's literally being submissive to one another. Now, for those of you that are English majors, it's a passive imperative, which means it's not a suggestion. Say, this is what God's telling us we're supposed to do. This is His law. And the reason He's telling us that, not because He wants to control us, but Because that's what works, and the reason it works is because that's what's going on with him. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Now, when Paul wrote these words, they were revolutionary. They were mind-shattering. In his day and time, there was absolutely no legal status for anybody except him if he was a Roman citizen. Wives meant nothing. Children meant nothing. If you didn't want them, put them on the hillside, side. Let them die. Who cares? You could kill your slaves if you wanted to. It's not a problem. Just the way it was. So for Paul to write these words are outstanding in terms of the impact in the world in which he lived. It was revolutionary and countercultural then. And I think it is today. Now, I'm not intending to disparage anybody that's suffered divorce, had difficulty in relationships, some marriages are not going to work because there's all kinds of unfaithfulness and nasty things going on. But in our country today, there's this sense of... uh, uh, disparity between the attitudes towards marriage. It's, it's, on one hand, it's kind of irrelevant. It doesn't really matter. we kind of disregard it. On the other hand, it's a disdain. Why are you putting a big deal on it? What's the matter? It doesn't matter. What's the, what's the problem? So that's the attitudes that is going on today out there that I've been living through and witnessing. And even in Christian relationships, this is the popular practice. Now again, I'm not wanting to fuss at anybody that's that's been in these these places of divorce and the pain or, or you're single or you're never going to get married or 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 uh, you're a widow I, I this is not the point of the the message today, so please don't hear it as that but this popular practice is now well, if I fall out of love with you like I fell in love, well what did you trip over something again, I gave me understand this what what what's going on I just fell out of love. And so it's like, I don't get it. Um, but but th- that's the attitude that, well, I, I just don't love you anymore. And so the idea is, okay, if you're not making me happy, then I have a right to go away. And if I don't like you or I don't like something, then just chuck it. Forget about it. This is contrary to God's will. It's contrary to God's will because it's damaging to us. It's contrary to God's law because it's damaging to us. God just doesn't have us do something because he doesn't think of anything better to do or he loves being in control. Of course not. We know that's not true because of the nature of who God is. We expect this kind of behavior from non-Christians. But Jesus, this flippant attitude toward, toward divorce is totally destructive to a Christian family, to families and marriages in general, and families in general, to the health of the family, to authentic relationships. And again, we expect this from non believers, but Christians need to be called to a higher standard, a better way that works because it's God's plan. Our statistics as Christians. Regarding divorce and cohabitation should be much lower than the world in general. Now I get, we're Christians. I mean, we're, we're Christians and we're sinners. I know what Luther, that's true. But we want to work toward recapturing and regaining this sense of sacredness of what marriage is all about. God's plan I don't know how they got those rings together. I think they were made that way. <laughs> but the idea is that they signify permanence. They're eternal. They're gold. You can't destroy them unless you melt them down. And they're, they're, they're permanent. And so God's plan about marriage and relationships is permanent. And secondly, they're a covenant. They're a covenant made before God. It's kind of a contract in a religious or spiritual sense. And that contract, that covenant, is based on mutual submission. Now, I'm not going to talk about the uh, husband and wife relationships and family relationships that goes on in the rest of chapter 5 in Ephesians today. I'm not ignoring them. We'll talk about it in another time. But, notice in the context, mutual submission... Is supreme over all. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but did you know that Paul never commands a wife to obey her husband? It used to be that way in the old vows, didn't it? Ain't true. Why? Because it's not in scripture. See, God doesn't require us to obey Him. What He tells us is to love Him with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. See? Heart rather than sacrifice. And that's the principle that's going on here, I think, that's been totally ignored and overlooked or just not understood. Mutual submission has to do with the balance of power, if you will. You have to learn to talk and you have to learn to listen. And I think that the imbalance of mutual submission has a great deal to do with the dysfunction that goes on in relationships, marriages specifically, and other relationships in general. So this message applies to all of us. It's a principle that impacts our family, our personal relationship. And the reason it does so is because it reflects the nature of God, what He intends, His law, for our lives in general, marriage specifically. The old wedding vows were do you take her as your wife to live together with her after God's command in the holy estate of marriage? Will you love her, comfort her, honor her and keep her both in sickness and in health and forsaking all others keep yourself only for her as long as you both shall live." In recent weddings that I've been to, couples write their own vows. I don't have a problem with couples writing letters to each other saying, you're the greatest thing on the face of the earth, I'll be with you always, it's wonderful, it's great, and there's incredibly flowery language. Some of it's very beautiful and that's great. I don't have any problem with that the thing is it's not intended to be a substitute for the vows that we make before God because it's a covenant it's a solemn promise made before God it's God directed submitting to his will his law to one another it's beyond ourselves. You see, it's out of reverence for Christ. And when we violate those, we do so at our destruction. Wow. I don't know who that young couple is, but that oh, that frame itself came from an antique shop. I'm just telling you. <laughs> it's been there a while. But we're... We're not intended to be alone. Now, some of you have the gift of celibacy like Paul has. I, I Praise God. But God did not want us to be alone. And he ties it to, he ties marriage to our creation, as was read earlier in Mark chapter 10. The Lord God in his goodness created us male and female. It's he that established marriage. And then, of course, Paul's message in Hebrew, the Hebrew writer in chapter 13, rather, perhaps Paul wrote it. Let marriage be held in honor that is respected by all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Wow. Earth-shattering. So today we want to recover a little bit of this sense or this view or belief that marriage indeed is an honorable estate that's been instituted and blessed by God. Let's try to recover a little bit of that honor and respect that it's valuable. It's a precious and great worth. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not I'm not advocating we go back to the early 50's when I was a young boy, (laughs) very young, and and have um, the little woman um, uh, in a dress, stockings, and heels running her Hoover over the new carpet. And if somebody comes to the door and wants to sell you a new Hoover, I can't without the head of the house being here and making that decision because I'm brainless and I don't know anything and I don't have a mind. Please has never been God's desire and God's will. That was hierarchical. That was patriarchal. And you know why that's not biblical? Because it's contrary to biblical submission. But that was what was going on for a long time. Well, I'm just trying to be faithful to what the scripture is telling us. I often hear from couples that are uh, now living together, they'll say, well, you know, really what we're trying to do is uh, make sure that uh, we're compatible and that we're going to get along. I mean, after all, you wouldn't, you wouldn't buy a, a new car unless you drove it, right? And that's the, I've heard that I don't know how many times. And, uh, well, it, you, it, and sometimes it's just uh, financial, we can't afford to have two separate places to live, so what the heck, we'll live together. And then, you know, when we feel like it, or we might or might not, we'll get married, okay? They're, they're, They're wanting to maybe decrease the possibility of divorce. See, the problem with that is that it's all not true. Conventional wisdom doesn't make it true. I think I forgot to show that slide. You get to see it twice if if I didn't. Now, in the National Center for Marriage and Family Research, this is the the most neutral website that I was able to find. And I want to list a few statistics, especially for you uh, engineer types, okay? These are statistics from a neutral site. First, 66% of married couples today have lived together before marriage. And of those, fifty percent married. The third statistic is that cohabitated couples separate at a rate that's five times greater than couples that did not. Some statistics, some websites say twenty times. The next statistic: the reconciliation rate of non-cohabiting is one third of those that didn't live together before marriage. Next, couples that lived together were much more likely to experience infidelity. And the last statistics, there are at much greater risk for divorce than those that did not. Wow. So you see, we live in what's called an age of disposable relationships. And what happens in practice is that there's really no security with couples. It's tenuous. It's ready to split at any moment. If I do something to aggravate you, then I'm out of here. If I do something that you don't like, I'm out of here. Jesus spoke to that a long time ago not the way God wanted. See, what happens when there's a tenuousness like that is that there's no possibility of growth, emotionally, spiritually. What happens when, when you get a little bit older and you can't do some of the things that you did before? Uh, well, you used to go biking up and down the the, the hills and the loose trails with me, and now you can't do it anymore. Well, I'll get a younger one that can do it more with me. Or, well, what did okay. See, something's not right here. God's design for the Christian family, for Christian marriage, is that it's a permanent covenant based on mutual submission. All Christian relationships in marriage are a reflection and an extension of our created image in the nature and likeness of God. God is agape love. He wants us to love and to be loved. That's who He is. God is love, right? What that means is that He creates us out of that love to give it, to receive it. I think that's exactly what happens in the Godhead. Now, some years ago, before well, uh, double helix was just coming out regard, regarding DNA and it was a brand new thing it was, wow it was, we were on the cusp of, of a new world and uh, I got to thinking about that as I wonder if this is what the nature of God looks like so I tried to imagine the trinity in a visual kind of way as a triple helix now, what's fascinating to me about that is that this triple helix has individual strands. They're easily recognizable, different color, but you can't separate them. Fascinating. I think that's what's going on in the Godhead, the Trinity. Now, it turns out, I found out later, there was a technical Greek term to describe that. And I'm not the first pastor to use that term from this pulpit because Pastor Jerry did it a while ago, so if he can do it, I can do it, right? Well, this term is perichoresis. Perichoresis is just a Greek term, and it's where we get the word a perimeter, for example. So the idea is that there is something going on in the Godhead or the interior life of the Trinity And the word for that is perichoresis. In Hebrews chapter 5, the author writes that Jesus' prayers were heard because of his reverent submission. I don't even know how to grasp that in my mind. Something's going on It's an active, ongoing interrelationship of agape love. And I think that mutual submission is an illustration or a living out of what's going on in the very nature of God. And that's why it deserves our highest value, honor, and respect. Well... A couple of quick takeaways. I could spend a lot of time talking about a variety of things. Do something about your relationship. doesn't have to specifically be your marriage. Of course, it, it certainly could be. But do something. Marriage enrichment groups. Hopefully the church will be getting a lot more involved in that in that area. Support groups. Date night. Time for each other. You can't build a marriage unless you spend some time together. You've got to learn how to communicate. Let me tell you, folks, you didn't learn how to communicate to your spouse any more than I did. When you're dating and everything is romantic and hallmark, that's not real world. That changes after a while and you've got to learn how to talk and listen. You weren't born capable of learning how to talk and listen to where it's going to matter in your marriage. Do something about it, get some help. Especially husbands, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. You can say, I don't know how to do this, okay? If you try to fix things at home, you know what the plumber does when he comes after your work? He says, now you've got to pay him to fix what you screwed up to get started, okay? That's the same kind of thing. Don't go on and say, wait a second, something's not happening here. It's not doing well. It's not working right. Maybe I need to learn how to do this. Okay, well, we love each other. We're committed to each other. We just don't have the tools. It's as simple as that. You can learn to do it. It takes somebody teaching you how to do it, and then it works. It really does. I've I've experienced this hundreds and hundreds of times. You have to learn how to be happy. Isn't that a crazy statement? See, that's not what we think. Our conventional wisdom is, well, you make me happy, let's get married, we're going to be happy, right? Uh, But it doesn't work that way by definition, because things change from underneath us. You have to learn how to be happy. You see, good marriages are made. It's not a given. Have you ever heard the adage, uh, calm seas don't make a good sailor? Same way in our relationships. It may be difficult, but the times we grow most are when we have difficulties. Difficulties. When there's troubles. Sometimes it's between us, sometimes it's our kids, sometimes it's a, a external kind of thing. There's job loss, finance, all kinds of things. But that's when we either grow deeper and our roots grow down deeper, or the next wind blows us over. See, you have to fight for your marriage. It's something greater than you are. You have to fight for your healthy relationships. It's greater than we are, and we do so out of reverence for Christ. The grace that we receive in our marriages because of the love that we're giving and the love that we're receiving is the good news of the Gospel. That's what God wants for us. That's the whole idea. And what we want to do as believers is to be salt and light and leaven to the world around us, the world that's in darkness. See, this message is really counter-revolutionary. Sometimes people don't want to hear it, but that doesn't mean it's not a good thing. And we want to be the people that understand that and reflect it and want to reach toward that As a goal, we want to overcome the darkness and let the light of God's plan shine brightly in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.